I agree it's hard to keep a great HBCU coach, but I'm ready to change that. Talladega falls short in the NAIA championship, and the HBCU All-Star Game has announced their coaches. Oh, yeah. It's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And it is hard to keep a a great head coach in the HBCU ranks. I completely agree with that. However, I am hopeful that I have at least the first couple of steps on the path to keeping that or changing that because – it shouldn't be this way. And I think a lot of times it's looked at this way because these play, these coaches and these HBCUs, their relationship is one of a stepping stone. See, it's looked at as if HBCUs are, are a way to step on, or not step on, but use as a platform to get to something greater. And that does not need to be the case. And I, I think, I'll, first of all, I want to shout out HBCU Game Day and Stephen Gaither because they got this idea. They inspired it. Right. Because they were talking about Kim Mokey's comments about Tamika Reed and they were speaking on just the fact of, hey. It's hard to keep a great HBCU coach. We wrote this article, I think, it was like seven years ago, and it still reigns true today. And they're completely right with that. Right. So I want to give a shout out to them because they inspired this. But I want to change that. I want to change that thought process. I don't want that to be the case anymore because. There's a lot of attention on HBCU athletics. I think there's a lot of attention from the right people on HBCU athletics. And there's this there's this motivation from a lot of people to just put a, a brighter spotlight on HBCUs right now. And I think that you need to capitalize on that because right now there's a bigger point of emphasis on them than it has been in the last, you know, couple of years. So right now you have to use that attention and, you know, spend it the right way. So with that being said, you look at a Deion Sanders, you look at a Willie Simmons, and hold on, before I get into that, let me give you my prerequisites, because I do think long-tenured coaches are important, and I want to give my prerequisites and tell you why I'm focusing on guys like Deion Sanders and Willie Simmons. First off, I'm focusing on football and basketball, because those are the two major sports in America. Those are the major sports in America. Those are the sports that are going to generate the most amount of money. As far as college, those are the best, those are the two sports that are going to be the most synonymous with your school. You know, they're typically football, basketball schools. That's typically how you look at them. And that's no disrespect to the other sports because those are major, those are important as well. But I just have to be realistic and say those are the money getters, those are the attention getters, those are the ones that kind of become synonymous with your school when thinking about are you good at athletics? Are you good at football? Are you good at basketball? Those are the sports that really just jump out, right? That's no disrespect to the other sports, but that's why I'm focusing on those because those are kind of the ones that can help define your school. Then also the other parameter or prerequisite that I want to set is I'm focusing on division one coaches because I know all HBCUs have struggles, but I think the division two, the division three, the NAIA schools, 
those have the, the natural look of, oh, I can go up. You can even go up to another HBCU, but I can go up. So I think that is the natural allure of, or downside, but th that allure is the downside of being a D2, D3 NAIA coach or player. It's always going to be looked at as a, I can go somewhere higher. So I'm focusing on Division One because that's supposed to be the precipice of HBCUs. So I'm focusing on that division, and I'm focusing on those two sports. Now that we got that out of the way, let's continue this point. In basketball, the big thing is the big dance, the NCAA tournament, right? That's the big deal in basketball. It's so difficult for an HBCU to make some noise. I thought that Jackson State had a real good chance to knock off LSU, and they did. They nearly got it done, right? And they were a 14 seed. I think that maybe they can get to a 13 if they have another really good season because they've shown they can do it. And I, I don't know for fact, but I do think that that a lot of times plays and reputation plays a part in the committee's decisions. And I know it's, I know they say it's a system, but whatever, right? So a 14 is really high seed for HBCU, but a lot of times it's a 15 or a 16 that you're looking at. You facing a one or two seed, like you facing the top seed in the, in the, um, in the country, like you're supposed to be facing the best team in your in your region, one of the four to eight best teams in the country. That's what you're looking at. So it's a tall order to try to knock those down. And as a basketball coach, that's what you're looking at. You're not looking at anything else. That's the thing. And out of conference success ultimately is one of the things that I think will help keep HBCU co coaches around. It's about legacy. That's the thing here. It's all about legacy. And I think a legacy is a much Easier. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier to achieve in football than it is basketball because, yes, you can be a great coach in the MEAC, great coach in the, in, the, uh, in the SWAC. But ultimately, I think that going out and achieving things outside of your conference is what cements a coach's legacy a lot of times. You know, now let's look at football. You look at a, a guy like Deion Sanders, which I don't who I don't think should leave. People have been talking about him leaving. and I know he's interviewed places. I don't think he should leave. You look at a guy like Willie uh, Simmons, you look at a guy like Buddy Pugh. I don't want them to leave. I don't think Buddy's going anywhere. He's been at South Carolina State for a while. I don't want them to leave, and I don't think they need to leave. And I think the way to keep a coach is legacy. And I, it, that's a little hard, um, hard one to achieve because it's their legacy. At the end of the day, it's their legacy. So you look at it like this. What can you achieve outside of your conference in football? You can go to the Celebration Bowl. You can win multiple Celebration Bowls. That can build you up. You can be a, an absolute powerhouse. I think it's easier. It's easier to be a powerhouse in football and define what a powerhouse is because you can win multiple Celebration Bowls. I still have this thought process that they're going to want to compete with the FCS schools at some point in the FCS playoffs. You start winning some FCS playoff games, which I think is much easier because, look, in the basketball uh, landscape, you're going against, like, Kansas. You don't want to go against Kansas to football. Kansas sucks in football, but the equivalent of Kansas is, like, you know, an Alabama, an Ohio State, you know, things of that nature. You don't want to be – you're not going against those guys. So you're not going against the top schools in the nation. You're going against the FCS schools, and the funding is a little bit closer. You're still underfunded. HBCUs are going to be underfunded in relation to other schools all the time. But – Overall, I think that you have a better chance competing and building up to being able to consistently compete on the FCS level. That's what I think is, is the situation. You look at schools like North Carolina A&T, they want to build up and try to get to a, uh, or Tennessee State as well, they want to get to FBS level. 
Well, if that's the goal, you should also be able to compete on the FCS level. And I think that you can do that through continuously com com uh, competitive, excuse me, continuous competitive recruiting. They just got the number one recruit in the nation and other really good recruits at Jackson State. I don't think this is going to be Jackson State exclusive. You just saw a big time uh, transfer quarterback go to Grambling. I don't think it's going to be Grambling exclusive. I don't think it's going to be Tennessee State exclusive, North Carolina A&T or Hampton exclusive. I think you're going to see a lot of more, lot more talent just coming to the HBCU ranks. And I think as that continues to go, you might be able to compete as far as recruiting on the same scale as some of these FCS schools. You have these coaches that stay. You get some FCS victories. The legacy starts to build. That's why I think Dion should not leave. People, people have asked me, should Dion leave? No, because I think Dion, Willie, Buddy, like all of these guys, they have chances to be the next great coaches in the HBCU ranks. See, we have the Eddie Robinsons, but that was a long time ago. There's a new age. There's a heavy emphasis on HBCU athletics. And I think football is the way to go where you can start seeing more coaches keeping around because they have legacy in this new age. How about you be the next great head coaches in a new era of HBCU football? That's my proposition. And that's what I think can keep some HBCU coaches around. That's the way a legacy and the legacy is easier, not easy, but easier built in the football uh, in football as opposed to basketball. Now I want to switch over to basketball and talk about Talladega, who they weren't able to get done in the, NAI, in the NAIA championship, and that's because their offense was absolutely anemic in the first half and dug a hole that they just struggled to get out of. But first I want to tell you about Stat Hero because I, like I think a lot of people, likely had their bracket busted by Kentucky. I'm sorry. If you, if you, if you got people at Kentucky, you, you know, you, you might like watching Kentucky. You got some of your favorite players in the league from Kentucky. I'm sorry I got to keep bringing it up. But Kentucky busted a lot of brackets. Uh, my my absolutely not scientific discovery is that about 88 to 90% of brackets were busted by Kentucky losing in the first round. Is what it is. Thankfully, Stat Hero is here to save you. They have single-game pickems, And they also have an opportunity where it's like a mix between fantasy and betting where you can choose the lineups that you want to face and play them with the with the players that you want to play them with. It's like a, a, a great mix of fantasy and betting where you only get to bet on the people that you know. That's great. And they win four times more likely than it, or excuse me, Stat Hero users win four times more than any other place. That's all I need to hear for me to go to stathero.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on using the promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. I also get to tell you about Built Bar because Built Bar is the best protein bar on the market, bar none. It tastes just like a candy bar, but it has none of the negative effects, none of the high sugar intake, a whole lot of protein, though, and it's covered in chocolate. You're telling me that I can get a protein or a bar covered in chocolate that tastes like a candy bar with multiple flavors. Y'all know my favorite, blueberry muffin, and it has a whole lot of protein in it, but not a whole lot of sugar and net carbs. I just don't understand. I want something that tastes good. That's a lot of that's a lot of people's reason on why they don't get things that are good for you. It don't taste good, but this tastes good. It's good for you. Easy money. Then they have the Built Bar Puffs that has marshmallow and chocolate, but still all the health benefits. It's an easy decision to go to built.com, use the 15 for 15% off your offer. I don't even know what you're waiting for. I would have started talk, I would have started typing before I finished talking.
All right, it's Pimo Rolo on today's episode of Locked On HBCU. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And Talladega just was not able to come out with the victory in the NAIA championship game. And that game was pretty much all Loyola. Loyola was a, a team that had a phenomenal season, and they won the championship. They earned it. But I think where they beat where they beat early in the game, and it shouldn't have been this early, but forget it. Forget the lead up. Let's get right, right into it. It was 13-13. It was all good. And then it turned to 23-17. That's a 10-4 to run. It's not bad, you know. All right, you're down six points. That's really nothing major. And if you just look at that, you're sitting there saying, all right, whatever. Why you even bring that up? How could that be what did them in? Because that was part of a greater run. You know, that was the beginning of what was the run that I feel like was the end. Mind you, at that point, they are done, or they're not done, but they are down six points. Then then Loyola goes on an 11 to nothing run. And a lot of times when you hear those things, you immediately think, man, defense failed them. No, and remember, that was our main attraction. But that's not the case. It was the offensive inefficiency. They went absolutely anemic in offensive on the offensive side of the ball. This 11-0 run went in a matter of six minutes, and I don't think that's terrible. You're looking at a bucket a minute, maybe. That's not bad defense to me. It's poor offense when you have 12 shot attempts in a six-minute span, and you don't make any of them. You don't make any free throws. You don't get on the board. You go scoreless for six minutes. Now, what started off as a 13-13 uh, tied ball game, and I say went up to 23-17, is now 34-17. So now you're looking at a 20, 21, there you go, a 21-6 run, or 26-4 run. Now are we saying that's a damning uh, stretch? That's a tough situation to be in. So when I look at it, I say, all right, you're down 17 points in the first quarter, in the first half. You can bounce back from that, but they just weren't. And when you look at it, you go 0 for 12 from the, from the field in a six-minute span, that's indicative of your offensive performance. And eventually they got to a 19-point deficit. They were able to build back and respond with an 11-0 run of their own. That was easily the best stretch for them. 11 nothing. All right, there you go. Tell them you're getting into it, but they responded. And, and honestly, it's a situation where you've already dug yourself enough of a hole, a hole to where it's hard to get out of. Yes, an 11-0 run is great, and it puts you down eight points. And I think you even got to – Five points at some point. But if you weren't on a 19 or you didn't build yourself to a 19 point deficit, that 11-0 run, you might have been able to tie the game, maybe take the lead. So that was at a point when it felt like momentum might be shifting. But Loyola just responded and they got up by 15 points rather quickly. And this and it's crazy because Loyola just has their number, which is no shame. Loyola's had everybody's number this year. They only lost one game all season, but they beat. Talladega four times and they they Talladega's only lost six games all year two-thirds of the games have been to Loyola so four out of the six losses have been there and it's crazy because it's not defense and a lot of times it's not the main event that gets the night bonus if we're talking about mixed martial arts right it's not the main event a lot of times and it wasn't this time either the main attraction was the Loyola offense versus the Talladega defense and the defense of Talladega performed admirably. They held them to the lowest. They played four times. They held them to the lowest total they had in the whole season, season series. They held them to 
the third lowest points Loyola has scored all year. And they held them to only 71 points. That's good. As a defense, if I'm looking at this is the key matchup, the marquee matchup, I'm happy. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I held them to 71 points. That's Well, it's not defenders versus off, offensive players, you know, like football. But I'm sitting like, okay, we did our thing on defense. But offensively, we were just not good. That was the knockout punch. That was it right there. It was a boss root and liver kick. That's exactly what it was because the defense of Loyola, ironically, anytime the offense struggles, the defense makes up for it because, like I said, this is the third lowest time or third lowest point total of Loyola's season. But the other two, and they scored 71 before, none of those games they lost. That, that's just the crazy part to me. But no, no, none of those games were games where they lost. So when the Loyola offense isn't there, the defense steps up, and that's exactly what happened right here. I talked about that 0 for 12 stretch in six minutes. It just wasn't good. They shot, I think, less than 35% from the field, Talladega did, and this was their lowest point total of the season. It was only the second time that they scored under 60 points all season. So offensively, that was the, the killer. And I said this was going to be a situation where something had to break. Something had to break. And the Loyola defense was ranked much higher than the than the Talladega offense as far as just where they rank each other. So it's not surprising that they won that matchup. But, man, every time they play, they go to a lesser and lesser point total. And Talladega just dropped as well. So defensively, they held their own offensively. That's what did them in. And it all started with that stretch in the first half. And they dug themselves too deep of a hole. They cl they clearly were not were not firing on all cylinders offensively. And they were never able to, they were never able to dig themselves out of it. And that's just how it happened. Now, transitioning, I want to talk about the HBCU All-Star game because I really like the coaches that they brought in. I think it's a good blend of experience and also fresh, fresh faces. So I'm excited to talk about that. But first, I want to tell you about Rock Auto because Rock Auto is great. No more. Have you ever been rather? Have you ever been to the auto parts store and you sit there and it's a long line, which you really didn't want to be in, but you knew you had to be in. You sit there and they're asking you a bunch of questions where you just like, man, just give me my part. But then when they finally get to the part of offering you what you need for your car, it's like you only have one of these. You only have one choice. There's not a list of prices I get to choose from. Take all of that off the table because it's all gone with Rock Auto. See, no more lines. You're online. It's just you. You're chilling just like here, boom, on your laptop. And then also, no more annoying questions because you get to get to control it. And nobody's in your face. Nobody's making you answer these things. And then lastly, they're going to have a lot of prices over there at Rock Auto. And they're all cheaper than these auto parts store. 30, 40, 50, 60% cheaper sometimes. And it's a family-owned business. So you know I love that. That's something about me. I'm a family man. And overall, I think that Rock Auto is just the best place to go because it's easy. It's, it's less money. That's all I need to hear. Go to rockauto.com and put locked on in the how did you hear about us section. All right, so wrapping up today's episode of Locked On HBCU, I want to talk about the HBCU All-Star Game. It's the basketball edition, and they just announced their coaches. It's four coaches from the major HBCU conferences, SWAC, MEAC, SEAC, CIAA, and it's all going down not this Sunday, but next Sunday, April 3rd in New Orleans at the Lakefront Arena. Make sure you're checking that out, man. It's great. Great, 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 great. There's a lot of things going on in Louisiana on that day, too. You got the All-Star Game, and if I'm not mistaken, I think the 
I think the the Grambling um, spring game is that day. It's that weekend. I, I know it's in a single digit um, April day. So I think it's April 3rd. So it's a lot going on in Louisiana on that day. But the HBCU All-Star game is going down. And I really like the coaches that they have announced. See, they've announced coaches that are going to be of different tenures and also just from different conferences. The conference is already different because you get to have four different styles of play, four different coaches from four different places. It'd be one thing if everybody was just a SWAT player or everybody was a SWAT coach, everybody was a MEAC coach, and all the players came from the CIA or things like that. No. I'll tell you one thing I would have liked, though. I would have liked to see Coach Reed from Jackson State be in this because I think women's basketball, it's it's great to show some representation and having a coach come over from that side, especially one that just nearly pulled off a massive upset in the NCAA tournament. I would have liked to see her, but that that didn't happen. That's fine. You know, it's, it's really whatever. But I think that would have been a nice little addition. But overall, the, the coaches that they've listed, it's a nice little blend of coaches that have been there for a while. Or a coach. I guess it's really not a blend when you really think about it. But it's three coaches who are relatively new to their school and one coach that is super tenured and has been there for nearly a decade. But I like the blend. I like the fresh faces. And a lot of times there's nothing wrong with having tenured coaches because they bring a lot of experience. They bring a lot of knowledge into it. But I also like having the, the coaches who haven't been a head coach for a while. And it just helps. I think it helps improve their profile. And that's the situation. I want to talk about the coaches, though. Because and I want to be clear, the coaches who aren't tenured, this isn't a handout. It's not a situation. It was like, you know, I think that that guy from the crib university could really shout out my boy, Dave, the crib university. Right. But um, it's not like that guy from the crib university. He just needs he needs a handout, man. We need to help him up. He needs to he needs some some confidence building. No, all of these coaches are coaches who who are qualified, who have shown the ability to win. And have shown at least one trait on reasons that they should be in this game. And I'm going to start off with Team Gaines, which is the SWAC and the CIAA. So you're going to have Coach Landon Bussey, who's going to be there. And he's from Alcorn. He just coached them to a to a um to a regular season SWAC championship in an NIT performance in his second year at Alcorn. Now, what that tells me is that first off, you can coach a good team. That's prerequisite number one. And probably the only thing, like, if you can't do that, you don't need to be here, period. Like, you're done. If you can't coach your team to success, I don't even know why you're in the All-Star game. And I think that's just common sense. I don't think you're going to have coaches in the All-Star game who aren't like that. This isn't like the Senior Bowl where it's the two worst teams or something like, hey, let's take the worst coaches from the sweat. No, and I don't even say worst coaches, but the worst teams with the worst record take their coaches. No, these are all qualified coaches who have showed themselves to have success so that's important to me and you also have postseason success as far as being in the nit tournament or at least a postseason experience so i think that's also good it's something that you can bring to the table then you have Corey lowry who is coming in from um lincoln and in this season in lincoln they were the fourth seed but he was able to coach zarian blue to be in a ciaa tournament or ciaa player of the year and a lot of times i think with mvps and defensive player of the year and things of that nature yeah, we should celebrate the players 100%. But at the same time, I think it's important that we celebrate the coaches because they have to put these, these players in the right positions. They deserve some credit for that because, man, I think I heard someone, they like 90% of quarterbacks, and I know it's not the same thing, but 90% of quarterbacks are system players. Most people are. You can put 
you can have somebody who is dominant in the paint, absolutely dominant. I mean, like Shaq, you put him in a, in a, a system where they like to have bigs on the perimeter. Guess what? He's not going to be that good. He's not. So everybody needs a system needs to be put somewhere that makes their strengths even stronger. So you got to give coaches some sort of credit for this. And that's a feather in his cap. Like, okay, I coached the player to the CIAA player of the year. So I got to give love to Corey Lowry on that. Now you're going to team McLendon, who he's coming in, or Fred Watson is coming in from the SEAC, and he's going to be a guy from the, from the oh, excuse me. And that was Corey Lowry's first season. Since I just want to keep the theme of how young these coaches are as far as at their, at their school. And we're not talking about young in age. We're talking about being at their particular school for a certain amount of time. Now going to, to Team McLendon, which is the SEAC and the MEAC, you have Fred Miles who was coming, or Fred Watson who was coming out of Miles, and he is absolutely the model of consistency because he's been there for three years, four years total, but three years as a full coach, you know, for four, three full seasons. 20 wins every year. This is a, a benchmark that teams try to get to every year. For him to get there three years in a row, that's the highest streak of consecutive wins in HBCU D2 basketball, there's no question. I don't care that he's only been there for three seasons. There's no question that he is one of the best coaches in HBCU ball, and he's more than deserving of being here. We got all our young guys out of there, right? And together, that's two, one, three, um, six years of, of total, even if you give that fourth year to Fred Watson, that's seven years of experience at that particular school. Oh, man. Then you go to this this guy, this dude like an old head. We talking about Robert Jones, one of the best coaches as well. He's been there for nine years. They've been there seven years all together. He's been there for nine years by himself. So I'm sure you got him looking like an elder statesman, like, man, go get your AARP card for coaching. But he's great. He's absolutely great. And Robert Jones, he's a guy who has led Norfolk to the NCAA tournament two years in a row this year and last year. And he's, he's just been overall good consistently. And his name has been attached to some, some other jobs, people trying to come get at him. So we know what Robert Jones is about. And I think that his experience as far as being in the NCAA tournament and also consistently coaching up guys and revolving door, he's been there for nine years. He's seen a lot. He's been through a lot. He's been through multiple recruiting classes. His experience should be able to put some sort of wisdom on those young players because at the end of the day, it's an all-star game. It's a one-off game. But at the same time, you got to understand that these guys are still going to be learning something from there. Not just because you're not done getting coached, but because it's one game, you can still put some sort of wisdom. And I think that should be the goal to be able to teach these players something in these all-star games. You shouldn't, and as a player, you shouldn't want to come away from the all-star game just feeling the exact same. You should want to get something out of it. It's like going to a camp. When you go to a camp, you want to get something out of it. It's only a one day, maybe two day camp, but you want to get something out of it. And it's the same way right here with this all-star game. I think that all of these coaches are more than qualified and more than capable of getting that done. It's just about now going April 3rd and watching some good basketball. I'm excited. And hopefully we continue to cover it or we will be able to continue to cover it right here on locked on HBCU. And that's why you continue to make us your first listen of the day every day tomorrow's episode we're talking to gerald huggins draft hbcu our top 10 thursdays we're on number six so let's see who he has for that and y'all know for your second listen of the day make sure you're checking out locked on nfl draft eric crocker ryan tracy breaking down everything that you need 
for the big event in April. It's a three-day event, so make sure you're getting your prep ready right now. And we have a lot of things going on in the NFL that's getting shaken up. Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins, how is that going to change the first round? I'm sure that they will be talking about it soon. <laughs> and hey, in the in the tribute to Tyreek Hill, nah, I forget, I ain't tributing him. Anyway, <laughs> I ain't no, I ain't no Chiefs fan. So in the meantime, in between time, y'all can follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. I thought about it, I said I ain't gonna do it. This was only a tribute for me. So take care, stay blessed. Peace.